Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. So I would like to welcome everybody to um, season two of Let's Talk Loyalty. And I have to say it's a fantastic way to start the new year. Uh, 2020 is kicking off with uh, certainly a huge amount of energy and excitement from my perspective. There seems to be a lot of new projects coming in on the horizon, lots of new trends and insights coming through from various different people. So I have already done 16 episodes. Um, I can't believe I was looking back. So season one in 2019, really got off to a fantastic start. So I'm really happy now today to be talking to a colleague of mine who is based down in a country I've already um, interviewed in the past, in fact, and that's down in South Africa. So I'm going to be talking today to Dion Olivier. And Dion is somebody that um, I share a couple of things with in terms of, I suppose, professional credentials in terms of, first of all, we are both members of the Customer Strategy Network. We both also hold the qualification as a customer loyalty marketing professional. And above and beyond that, Dion has some extraordinary experience. So in total, he has over 20 years uh, dedicated within loyalty. And actually, that includes all angles that you can imagine. So everything from the client side through to the agency side, and even including the investor side. So today, we're going to get into a very exciting discussion around three key areas. Um, but before we get into that, can I first of all welcome Dion Olivier to Let's Talk Loyalty. Hello, Paula. Thank you. Thank you. Great. <laughs> Great to have you on, on the show. First one of 2020. <laughs> That's right. Great. Okay. So I think um, the best way to start is always, Dion, as you know, in terms of um, educating ourselves and I suppose really having sound bites about what's going on in the loyalty industry. I always like to kick off with what is your favorite loyalty statistic? Mm. Thank you, Paula. Um, I think the, um, the focus on engagement, um, which is something that's very topical in the industry at the moment and it comes up in every white paper. It's, it comes up in every publication that's featured uh, across a range of uh, resources that are out in the market um, is definitely an area where I'm spending a lot of my time. Um, and it's not necessarily engagement at any particular point in time. It's engagement over the passage of time. Uh, and as you know, there are a whole range of metrics. Um, and I guess for me, the two, <clears throat> the two standout metrics and statistics that work best uh, if I may, uh, an answer with two is firstly, in the retail space, uh, it's typically the, uh, the loyalty turnover uh, over the passage of time and the trend that gets demonstrated through that. So we have a great retail offering in South Africa in the health and beauty sector um, that has close to an 80% uh, penetration of loyalty transactions across any spend at any point in time and consistently so. So that's a Cape in their business. And then secondly, um, in which, as you know, is also very prominent uh, in a multi-product solution or a multi-partner solution, for me, the key statistic uh, is the penetration across all product types uh, within a, uh, a value proposition. So if that's a retail bank that has a range of products from investment to savings to insurance products, it's how well has the loyalty program succeeded in shifting that penetration uh, of product uh, holding 
across the consumer spread uh, within their database because clearly that's an indicator of stickiness and how is that tracked and, and how's that performing over the passage of time. Mm. And do you see that, Dion? Have you, I mean, I know, for example, you've got experience in mobile telcos, you've got experience in retail loyalty, and then obviously financial services, hospitality and leisure. So you've pretty much seen, I suppose, every possible sector. Um, and I suppose, what is your view on that type of idea of shifting penetration? I think that's a key KPI. Yeah, um, our market has grown quite significantly. Um, I was fortunate enough, as you mentioned, to, to join this industry um, in the early days. Uh, South Africa really took its lead off where the uh, frequent flyer programs had developed in the US and in other developed markets. And, uh, and loyalty really took off. Loyalty and rewards really started to take off in South Africa in the mid to late 1990s. Um, and it's fair to say that since then, it's become quite a sophisticated offering. And, uh, and fundamentally, uh, what, we see, we, what we see in this market is, um, is a very specific focus around uh, driving particular behaviors and then aligning compliance against those specific objectives. So there are wonderful examples, which I'm sure we can get into a little later, of companies and businesses that operate programs in our market that have developed significant um, metrics for driving very specific behaviors. Um, and these feature quite prominently in their analyst presentations, in their annual reports, in their integrated statements. Uh, and they, in, in a lot of instances, for the very successful programs that operate in our market, they've become almost like that golden thread that weaves through the business that is used as the primary driver of, of customer retention, uh, customer acquisition, and penetration um, if there's a multi-product solution offered within the business. So we definitely see a lot of that, um, and it's good to know. Uh, I always say that the hard work starts when the program is launched, um, and that hard work is not necessarily all the good marketing stuff, but it's, you know, it's adherence to the well-crafted, well-defined business case uh, and financial plan that had very specific levers that had to be moved uh, and have to be moved over the passage of time. Amazing. And I love that actually, Dion, because I do think when um, when loyalty performance makes it into um, an analyst report, um, that really does show um, C-suite buy-in. And I think that that's the, you know, the holy grail for all of us is to actually see that people are buying into the overall concept and that it is driving levers for the business. Yeah. Yeah. I think loyalty has certainly come of age. Um, and, and that's what I find so fascinating about this industry. So, um, on the one hand, I'm a consumer. I guess mm -hmm. we, we're all consumers. Mm -hmm. um, and I probably have, uh, if not the most, but certainly almost the most number of loyalty cards in my wallet, um, <laughs> probably Great. north of 40. Um, and that's not just because I work in the industry, but I, I think there's, there's always good value if you seek it and if you make the effort to, to do what's required as defined by the program. Um, but on the flip side, you know, um, I... I fully appreciate that it's like any other investment that a business makes. And as you know, some of the investments that are made are huge, hugely significant uh, in terms of annual commitment, whether it's in the currency uh, and or all the operations that go with it. There are significant commitments made and there are significant line items on the, on the income statement and the balance sheet. So it's refreshing to know that this is more than just a marketing idea, that it's a strategic driver of behavior. Um, and certainly the successful programs that operate in our market have embraced that aggressively 
uh, and that's evident from the either the enhancements that they make every year to fine-tune specific behaviors, or alternatively for the simple fact that they continue to offer a solution uh, into the market. Uh, I'm guessing that if programs are not working, um, they'll either be abandoned, uh, withdrawn, um, or exited from the market. So it's refreshing to see that a lot of programs that have been around in our market uh, are still here 20, 25 years later for the very reason that I think statistically and from a financial metrics perspective, they're being well managed by the financial mm. team within each of these large, large corporations and businesses. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about a number of different sectors today, Dion. Again, I just love the variety of experience that you've had over the last 20 years. Um, but also just to pick up, I think it's fantastic that you do describe yourself, even on your LinkedIn profile, as a loyalty junkie. And it's probably the best piece of advice, actually, for anyone maybe thinking about kind of moving into the loyalty industry. It's really, you know, practice being a consumer, as you said, um, and, and, and go ahead and stuff the wallet with anything and everything that's available in your country. So I know for me, actually, some of the frustrations is I see great propositions and they're only available to UK residents or US residents. So um, absolutely, we have to at least consume what's available in our own markets. That's right. That's Isn't right. It? So talking about long-term programs, Dion, um, in the past, you and I have talked a lot about what I'm going to say is probably my favorite loyalty program in the world. And um, it, it's just one that I think ticks a lot of boxes in terms of value for all stakeholders. Um, and that's a program in the health insurance sector, um, which is called Vitality uh, by a company called Discovery. Now, I know you haven't, um, as far as I know, worked on that program directly, but have studied it and followed it for that entire, you know, your, I suppose your whole career. So I'd love you to talk us through the consumer proposition for Vitality and why you think it's so compelling from a global perspective. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, Discovery um, and, and Vitality in particular is a wonderful case study. Um, and I would urge anyone in the industry, um, in any market, um, to have a look at what they've done. It's well published. Uh, they're, they're wonderful videos uh, on YouTube. Uh, the CEO and founder of the business is very vocal around his strategic intent and where the business is going and how it's evolved over the last 20, 22 years, I think it is, that they've been in market. So, so just to take a step back and, um, and paint the picture uh, in the South African context, uh, Discovery uh, launched in the mid to mid to late 1990s. At that stage, um, as with any of the other industries in our market, um, competition was fierce. Uh, Discovery entered the market as a health platform. Um, South African consumers do have access to public healthcare, but private healthcare is a very well-developed sector in our market. <clears throat> and as with any competitive offering uh, in a particular market segment, um, the focus is often not just on the core product, but the way in which the core product can differentiate itself uh, over their competitors. So Discovery was really from the get-go, uh, very focused on developing uh, with their health offering, uh, additional solutions that underpin good, healthy behavior from their target market. Um, and they initially launched with a great um, benefit, which was subsidized or heavily discounted gym membership and that's really where it started. And I guess the fundamental behind that is someone who's healthy, um, who proactively manages their health by taking constructive steps to ex exercise more frequently and achieves very specific exercise goals, 
um, will be certainly over the passage of time uh, less of a financial burden on a healthcare provider. Um, a healthy person has a lower claims uh, ratio, uh, has the potential to to continue making premium payments for so much longer. Um, and I and I think um, and you're right. I haven't done any work specifically, but I've been a customer of Discoveries for many many years, and I've followed their evolution very closely. I think that fundamental of driving a business-specific behavior, uh, which in this case is to drive healthier uh, healthcare members, um, having a direct impact on the business's bottom line through rewarding those customers at the same time is an incredibly powerful way to build a proposition. And in the 20 years since the launch of Discovery Health, they've evolved their business into a whole lot more than just a health platform. And I'll pick up on some of the detail in terms of the current focus, uh, where they're at from a rewarding perspective um, for their health offering and some of the other offerings. Um, probably five to seven years later, maybe even longer, uh, Discovery launched, um, extended their solution set beyond just a health offering into uh, the insurance space uh, in terms of um, life insurance uh, and, uh, and investments um, and more recently, in the last 12 to 18 months, they announced the launch of Discovery Bank, uh, which, again, they've positioned as a behavioral bank, as with anything else they do. It's underpinned by very specific behavioral drivers. Um, and in between launching the life insurance business and the investment business, they also launched a short-term insurance business, uh, which they've neatly woven their vitality proposition into as well. So um, so they've, they've managed to evolve the business significantly. Um, and over the last 10 to 15 years, have also entered other markets uh, globally uh, and have very successful partnerships in more than a dozen markets globally. Uh, and they've, they've defined a vision, which you may or may not have seen, Paula, and others may have seen. Um, and it's almost like a commitment that they've made. So as a global commitment, they've put it out there that they wish to um, increase the activity levels of more than 100 million people by at least 20% uh, in the next five years. So it's an incredibly powerful soundbite uh, that features on a lot of their advertisements, um, which is kind of their global mantra of positively impacting the activity levels of more than 100 million people, which is a significant, significant goal. Um, and, and I'd love to say that, uh, that they're going to achieve that, and I'm sure they're on track yeah. uh, in terms of all their plans to get there. Yeah. And and you you're right, Dion. Um, you know, I'll pick up on a couple of things that you said. Firstly, um, it's definitely a very well published and publicized loyalty program. And I know, for example, Harvard Business Review have done a case study on it. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And wow. separately, I, I also know now that's obviously something you pay, I think it's a couple of dollars for. Um, mm -hmm. but separately, I know Apple themselves actually as um, as a technology partner of the program also issued a press release around the efficacy of the the, the tracking and behavior mm -hmm. change that was being monitored and mm -hmm. you know recognized and rewarded so i think we all know that that apple doesn't uh, lightly go into partnership with anyone and um, mm -hmm. also doesn't advocate any particular partnership that i've seen so so there's some very powerful um statements of um, the effectiveness of that program and i love that figure of you know impact 
affecting 100 million people. I mean, I can't imagine, uh, you know, the, the, the sheer savings, I suppose, just to be, you know, I suppose a hard-nosed businesswoman about it to the business. But also I sense a higher purpose, you know, the, the CEO very much seems to believe in, you know, I want my, my customers to be healthy and live longer. <laughs> you know, that's a really nice thing to have as a shared objective. Um, so I love what he's created. And I think for me, you know, as somebody who, who tries to have a positive perspective, the reason it's my favorite loyalty program in the world is it's because the customer benefits equally, personally, as much as the company does. You will, you will see... Um Frequent reference to a statement that Discovery use in a lot of their strategic content um, that is published either um, through the mouth of Adrian Gore, the CEO and founder, or as you referenced uh, in the Apple review that was done at the beginning of last year, um, and it's the concept of shared value, um, and, the, and the, the principle behind it is incredibly simple, that if, if I benefit as a business, um, and it's directly as a result of what you've done as a consumer, then we should share in the upside and share in the value, which I think from a corporate governance perspective, from a, from a higher purpose perspective, is an incredibly noble way to, to put forward a proposition. And, and I think it's, it's more than just um, a statement. It's more than just stuff that you read uh, as a soundbite or, you know, that a, that a a senior manager of a business talks, um, it follows through in everything that they do. So not only do Discovery make this commitment, but they also provide their customers with wonderful tools to achieve those goals. So you're not left out uh, in the cold. It's not a statement that appears on a, in a mission um, or vision statement up front. Um, they've put all the tools in place to enable customers to achieve those goals. So whether it's health goals, whether it's uh, banking goals, responsible banking goals, goals, or whether it's driving goals on their insurance product, their short-term insurance product, um, their mission has always been incredibly simple, and that is to equip customers with the tools that are required in order to achieve what they have to achieve, and give them whether it's through an app or a dashboard on a um, on a website, um, it's to give them the necessary insights to. Uh, and the necessary skills to achieve what they have to achieve. Absolutely. And again, from what you've shown me in the past, Dion, I know what they also do is um, they give their, their members and customers um, a, a really clear evaluation of their own health performance and yes. they show progress over time as well. So as well as giving them the tools such as discounts at the gym, there's obviously the performance metrics over time. So you can kind of see how am I shaping up and am I living my most healthy lifestyle? And as you said, that's across my driving behavior, my banking behavior, which I think is extraordinary, as well as my own physical health. So really, um, I suppose a lot of integrity, I, I, as you said, coming through in absolutely everything that they do. So active, active rewards is a key feature of the discovery proposition. Um, and as we talked about a little earlier, uh, the focus has extended beyond just the health side of discovery's business into the um, banking side and also into their short-term insurance and specifically with regards to the way in which customers drive uh, their vehicles that are insured by Discovery. So Active Rewards encourages customers to, uh, to get healthy, to exercise, uh, to drive well, uh, and to, as they put it, to spend responsibly. Uh, and if customers then uh, tick those three boxes around healthcare, driving, and 
and responsible spending, they get rewarded. And I think you've referenced that already, Paula. So um, the reward mechanism is the Discovery Mile. It's a redeemable currency. Uh, they have a range of partners where Discovery Miles can be spent. Um, it's no different from any other mile, buck, bean, etc. cetera. Um, and these Discovery Miles are earned by the customer if they, they uh, hit a particular goal for that week. The important um, the important point to point out about active rewards is that it's it's run on a weekly basis. So customers have a very specific personalized target, uh, a weekly driving goal, a weekly money goal, um, and a personalized weekly exercise goal that changes over the, over time. Um, and if they achieve any one of those three goals, um, they are rewarded with discovery miles. Um, and it's actually incredibly straightforward. So to use an example, uh, when it comes to vehicle driving behavior, um, if a customer drives 100 kilometers, call it 60 miles, um, that are so-called event-free, which, uh, which is all positive behaviors around driving, so um, no harsh acceleration, no harsh, harsh braking, no harsh cornering, no exceeding the speed limit, um, they will receive a number of discovery miles um, for that week. Uh, if they bank responsibly, in other words, they uh, achieve certain specific goals around defining um, and understanding more around managing debt, exposure to unexpected expenses, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and they use the tools that Discovery has made available, like budgeting tools and specific money goals, um, then they receive that reward as well. And the great thing is it's all embodied inside of an app, uh, which has a really neat little dashboard dial uh, which at any point in time, you can go in and check how you're progressing. Typically, it runs from a Saturday morning to a Friday evening. That's the seven-day period. And the reward is made available the following Wednesday. Um, and certainly as a family, uh, my wife and I um, are very strict in terms of managing our goals. Um, and it's a wonderful reward um, that you receive. And it's, it's almost instantaneous feedback, uh, not just in terms of your progress, but receiving that benefit uh, on the following Wednesday, which, by the way, they've, uh, I don't know if they've trademarked, but they use the term Rewards Wednesday. So they've built a lot of naming conventions into what they do. Uh, and that's an incredibly powerful way, I think, of creating yeah. uh, a buzz around what they do. Wonderful. And I love naming conventions, actually. Um, and I do think they're underutilized, Dion. I remember I worked on a program um, again in, in telcos, which was renamed to Priority Moments. But before that, the O2 program in Ireland was called O2 Treats. And I was really mm -hmm. keen to launch a proposition called Treats Tuesdays or Treats mm -hmm. Thursdays or anything. But again, I love the simplicity of going, here's something you can look forward to on a weekly basis. Because yeah. again, we're all busy people at the end of the day. So how do we get that cut through on the communications piece? So certainly yeah. Rewards Wednesday sounds like they, they've done exactly that. Yeah, no, I think they've done, they've done it very well. And I think to an extent, a lot of it is, is um, similar to what we see in retail. You know, So just traditional retail, um, whether that's quick service restaurants, you know, a lot of it is, follows a very specific structure. Um, these are tried and tested and established retail marketing concepts. Uh, and for me, it's really nice when a financial services provider, uh, and I say that with a pause in my voice, because traditionally financial services providers can be a little bit boring, um, whether it's a bank or an insurance company. Um, it's wonderful that they've embraced the whole retail side of it. Um, 
and brought everything that is successful in retail into an offering that is traditionally perhaps a little bit more staid. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we'll move on now to um to some other sectors, Dion. But just to, to finish up on, on Discovery, I think the key things I'm hearing from you are first of all, they're really educating their consumers um around what healthy behavior looks like. Um they're clearly tracking that in a very visible way. And then I love the kind of virtual pat on the back that you mentioned in terms of um, you know, acknowledging that behavior on a weekly basis and rewarding it so quickly. So I think there's a lot of lessons there that any loyalty program manager can kind of go, well, actually, am I performing like that? Is my program delivering on those kind of key uh, metrics? Uh, Because the one, the other thing I love actually about uh, Discovery is I know the CEO himself, you mentioned Adrian Gore. He is also an actuary, which for anyone who's not familiar uh, with the insurance industry, I think they're probably the cleverest people on the planet. Um, You know, probably close to, to astronauts in my, you know, limited understanding. Understanding, but again, there's nothing that's being done in that business that's not statistically valid. And again, I love the word you used earlier as well, Dion, the, the word noble. So I think the zeitgeist is around how can companies earn trust? And I think there's a lot of lessons there from Discovery on how we can do that. Yeah, I think if I can just add before we <clears throat> we step off and talk about some of the other industries, perhaps, um, what has been great about what Discovery has done is that they've created this benchmark, uh, which others have successfully followed. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, Discovery is not the only healthcare, <clears throat> excuse me, or insurance provider in the marketplace. Um, we have three or four or five others that have, to, to a very similar extent, emulated what Discovery has done. It's created wonderful competition in the market. Um, and there are a number of other propositions from the likes of Momentum and Sunlum and Old Mutual, et cetera, that have, that have done equally um, um, powerful or developed and deployed equally powerful propositions. I guess um, the big differentiator is, and it's something I often debate, is whether having a first mover advantage uh, is something that can potentially set you apart uh, for the full extent of your business. Um, so being first to market <laughs> and then taking that lead and constantly evolving uh, with, with repeated improve- <clears throat> excuse me <coughs> with repeated uh, enthusiasm and, repeat- and, and, um, and improvement on an annual basis. you know it creates an incredibly dynamic market. Uh, and at the end of the day, the consumer is wonderfully spoiled. Um, and, and that we've seen not just in the insurance sector, but we've also seen that very successfully deployed in the retail banking sector, which is an area that I spent uh, four to five years in my early days of loyalty working in um, when I worked for a business called Evax, which is uh, a rewards proposition offered by First National Bank, one of the five or six large banks in the South African market. Mm-hmm. And even ebooks, actually, and again, I'd be I'd be certainly excited to talk about that. As you said, Dion, uh, banking isn't always you know the sector that's uh, considered the most exciting or sexiest industry in the world. Um, but even ebooks, I think, from a from the tone of what that program is is doing, sounds like it is something that's actually quite accessible. So um, so I'd love to talk um, about what's happening um, in the retail banking sector in South Africa. Okay, so let's let's dive in there. So, originally, if I if I rewind the clock into the mid to late nineteen nineties, um, we did have a couple of bank offerings that were in the market. Um, these were the days prior to 
the explosion of, of internet banking and obviously what followed in the last five to eight years with mobile app banking. Um, and a couple of the propositions that were in the market were closely aligned, as you would know, with frequent flyer programs. So with the evolution of frequent flyer programs globally, which initially rewarded uh, business travelers for their flights, which then slowly over the passage of time extended into other hospitality uh, verticals like hotels uh, and restaurants, and then um, where the connection was made with obviously uh, payments attached to, to flights, um, uh, the, the focus being on, on capturing as much as possible of the frequent business travelers spend uh, and what better way to do it than through rewarding them for their credit card usage or debit card usage. So uh, in the early to mid-1990s, South Africa had um, frequent flyer partnerships um, in, the, in the retail banking sector. Uh, and it wasn't until the late 1990s, early 2000, uh, that First National Bank launched uh, e-bucks. Uh, and as the name implies, it was very much in the dot-com boom. Um, and I remember so well those early days uh, of eBucks, um, knocking on doors at prospective partners and, uh, and working on the marketing side with, with the team that was there uh, and, and really having some resistance from the market because it was this whole dot-com thing um, and this whole e-commerce thing, which no one really understood. Uh, there was a lot of business jargon around it, but um, I'm happy to say that 20 years later, eBucks have you know have managed to really been successful not just here but in other markets and, and well respected on a global stage um, by by evolving their proposition. I guess a lot like what others have done. We've talked quite extensively about discovery. Uh, the eBucks proposition has grown significantly um, over time, and, and we can talk a little bit around the value proposition that they offer to market as well. Uh, and again, they're in a very fortunate position, as are the other retail banks, in that they have a range of products that they can sell to market. Um, you know, we don't always see that benefit uh, in the retail space. So if you're a grocery retailer, you have a limited array of products uh, that you can sell, uh, whereas in banking and insurance, and when you combine the two, it starts becoming incredibly powerful. So having that foundation of a broad product set uh, and the ability to reward for multiple uh, product usage within a particular uh, vertical or for your particular brand uh, puts you in a very strong position to command respect in the market and to evolve your proposition nicely. Mm. And I think in my experience anyway, Dion, most of the retail banking loyalty propositions originate, for example, on credit card spend, uh, which again, as you said, aligns with the frequent flyers and, and you know, their, their direct needs. So is that true in the case of eBooks? You know, the interesting um, insight, Paula, into the South African market is that we don't have as developed a, a card issuing um, standalone card issuing vertical as other markets do. So um, traditionally and certainly today, uh, credit card reward offerings are very tightly integrated into the broad retail banking offering because credit cards are typically issued um, in the main to retail banking clients. So we don't have as many co-branded cards as you would see perhaps uh, in, in the market in which you operate in the Middle East, or certainly um, uh, based on the size of our market relative to what you would see in the US, where you would have a Macy's or a Nordstrom or a Marriott branded Visa card. Um, 
So, so credit card offerings uh, as a standalone um, are not that significant, although they obviously are a small number. Um, so rewards at a credit card level quickly evolved into rewards at a total relationship banking level, uh, which looked at the full suite of services that the customer used um, and evolved on that basis. So it's, I think the focus is more than just card spend. Uh, the focus is also around creating that stickiness that comes with holding five or six or seven products uh, that makes it more difficult and more challenging for the consumer to leave. Um, if they have a mortgage bond, uh, an investment product, a savings product, uh, transactional product, et cetera, just the, the barriers to exit uh, that come with holding multiple products. Um, and I think we've done quite well uh, in South Africa developing overarching um, total relationship banking propositions that reward for the full relationship um, mm. and not just hard usage. Mm. And I love that, actually. And I don't know if you have a direct answer for this, uh, Dion, so forgive me if you don't. But do you think there's a, a sweet spot where, you know, if the customer holds, let's say, three products, and I'm just picking numbers out of the air, but have you any sense of where that stickiness really kicks in from a banking perspective? Hmm. I know it's not a tough one. Top, not, yeah, <laughs> not, not at the top of my head. But, I, you know, if I look at, if I look at the way in which um, the likes of FNB, Ebux, uh, Standard Bank with their proposition, which is called UCount, ABSA Bank, uh, which is an ex-affiliate of Barclays with their ABSA Rewards proposition, etc. If I look at the way in which they've structured their business proposition, their rewards proposition, which definitely talks to that broad array of product holding, um, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely certain. Um, well, of course, they, they monitor that very closely and they track uh, yeah. But um, I'm absolutely certain that that's the way it is. I think the challenge is always to do what you need to do to get that, whether it's three or five or seven product holding um, and stickiness, um, is to balance that with this notion of simplicity. Because the reality of both uh, the insurance propositions in our markets and the retail banking propositions is that they, they're incredibly complicated. Um, in terms of the way in which customers need to understand the reward level at which they operate and how to move up tier levels and reward levels and then what the benefits are relative to that. And I think, as, as you know, consumers are incredibly busy um, and don't always have the time to get to the nitty-gritty detail. Sometimes it's just there's just too much there. So, so I think therein lies the challenge. But if fundamentally the positioning is such, um, the promise made to the customer is sufficiently broad, so something that says the book that you know the more products you hold with us and the better you manage them and the longer you have them with us, the more we'll reward you. I know it's a simplification, but um, that could be a way of driving um, the overall intent so that the message to the customer is clear that it's not just about in this example credit card usage, but it's around everything from setting up your 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 will, um, your retirement funding and retirement planning through to the way in which you manage your account, the way in which you grant access to direct marketing communication and permissions and how frequently you validate your contactability, et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes much broader than just mm. one specific. 
Yeah. And I love that. Um, yeah. And again, to the point that we, we talked about earlier, Dion, you know, once a brand has earned a consumer's trust and, you know, permission to market to them, um, what clever uh, opportunity it is to leverage that across multiple products. So I know, for example, some companies I've worked for, uh, you know, accessing a platform that has visibility of the complete relationship with the customer has sometimes mm. been a challenge. Um, mm. But, you know, if the banks have been doing that in South Africa, you know, way back to the 90s, it sounds like they've had that very clear vision, uh, maybe before other sectors have had. So they, they seem to be doing a pretty good job of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's, there's a significant amount of work um, and large teams of smart people. Um, you talked earlier about actuaries, <clears throat> you know, the entire business science and data science underpinning of where rewards and loyalty propositions are going um, requires businesses to invest heavily from a resource perspective in those skills. Um, and if not internally available, to outsource those to external professionals that can render that level of service and that independent insight to take these massive investments forward. Um, I think just one other point, uh, which I also really liked you mentioning, was um, you know, cre creating that um, openness and transparency to the customer. Um, and it doesn't come easily. You know, it requires a very clear focus around the marketing message um, and also this entire focus around innovation um, and constantly refreshing the offering. I mean, I'm sure you see it in other markets and, and certainly in terms of the other podcasts that you've done and that I've listened to, uh, innovation sits at the cornerstone of what these evolving propositions have to offer in order to sustain people's interests. Now, there's always something new. There's always a new app or a new idea on the market, uh, whether it's the store card proposition, which digitally stores all membership cards, or whether it's a card linkage proposition, whether it's new partnerships and, and, and new multi-partner coalitions that are coming to market that are all vying for the same consumer attention. Um, it requires that consistent, trust-earning communication um, that the customer gets it. Um, and if the customer doesn't get it based on research and surveys, to fine-tune the communication side. Um, so that the customer does get it. And I think that's, I, I talked a little earlier around the hard work starting when a program launches. Um, and certainly that's the case uh, with regards to managing the business case. But I think also the hard work starts uh, in terms of listening to what customers have to say around what they like and don't like about the proposition and then balancing that back to what the um, resource uh, capabilities are of the proposition of the provider. So matching what the customer is demanding against what the business can afford. Uh, and then wonderfully in terms of our new digitally enabled market uh, that we all operate in now globally, uh, using those sophisticated um, mobile-based solutions to drive pinpointed personal type communication to the customer. Mm. Lovely, lovely. I've often admired the loyalty market in South Africa before, Dion, and the more I hear, the more I admire it. So, <laughs> sounds like some, some great work happening there. The, the third and I suppose final sector that, um, that I'd love to talk to you about, Dion, and again, mainly because of uh, recent evolution and innovation, um, mm -hmm. and it's obviously a sector very close to my heart, but I know mm -hmm. there's been a lot of uh, progress in the last year or so in uh, fuel and convenience retail. So, yeah. what can you 
you tell us about what's happening in that sector there? Yeah, that's an unbelievably positive sector at the moment. Uh, we've seen a lot of activity, as you mentioned, and certainly with, with your vast experience in um, convenience retail and your, your relationship with liquid barcodes and, and their focus. Um, it's certainly been, been an area of growth in our marketplace. Um, and interestingly, you know, the concept of fuel rewards is not necessarily very new. Uh, in this market, we've had a fuel rewards proposition in the market for um, probably eight to 10 years. Um, but in the last two to three years, we've seen significant growth. Most recently, interestingly, um, uh, Shell, uh, Shell service stations uh, launched their own proposition called Value Plus, um, which was launched, a value card, which was launched in early December. Uh, interestingly, they had had a relationship um, with a health and beauty provider. Uh, which is the Clicks program, uh, and Clicks Club Card had terminated that relationship after after a two year period uh, and joined forces with one of the other fuel retailers. Uh, and Shell came to market with something different, and um, so they've launched their own standalone proposition, which, as you know, um, because you featured it in some of your content uh, recently, uh, is where Shell is going in in global markets uh, with the Shell Go Plus proposition. Um, it's interesting to see what's happening there. So that's the most recent. Uh, and as I mentioned with Clicks Club Card, um, Clicks have aligned themselves with South Africa's biggest fuel retailer, um, which is Engine. It has the largest uh, footprint of um, fuel forecourts and convenience stores in the market, uh, and also no stranger to partnerships. Uh, they have a range of partnerships, not just uh, in the loyalty space, but also in their convenience store. Uh, and quick service restaurant uh, environment with leading retail brands um, like Woolworths, uh, which is a lot like Marks and Spencer in the UK. Uh, for those who don't know Woolworths, um, and Engine also have a partnership with one of the leading fashion retailers uh, in the form of Edcon. So I think, um, in summary, there are plenty of uh, propositions in the fuel retail sector. There's not a single one of the six fuel retail brands that are in our market that don't have a partnership. Uh, Shell is the only one that has a standalone proposition right now. Uh, the other five all have partnerships, either with a retail bank. So eBikes has a partnership with Engen. Uh, Standard Bank has a uh, partnership with Caltex, which is the equivalent of Chevron in our market space. Uh, BP has a partnership with Discovery in terms of their short-term insurance. Uh, vehicle proposition. Uh, Total has a relationship with Diners Club and Sassol um, has a relationship with Absa Rewards. So certainly a lot of overlap between retail banking and fuel retail rewards, um, not just uh, retail banking. <clears throat> also extending beyond that, as I mentioned, into health and beauty uh, with Clicks Club Card and also um, with one of the other health and beauty providers, uh, Discam that has a relationship with Total, Discam uh, benefits proposition. So it's an incredibly busy space. Obviously, a lot of sharing of insights and, and driving of specific shared customers uh, to, to do specific things uh, and pump up with fuel at that specific brand. Uh, and I think we're going to see a whole lot more um, evolving in the fuel retail space. Interestingly, um, not as much activity in the C-store uh, as we see in other markets. Um, the domain pretty much dominated by fuel rewards for liters pumped um, at the at the forecourt, um, and I think 
slowly uh, we will start to see a whole lot more in the for, on, at the sea store and at the quick service restaurants and, uh, and at the car wash as that conversion is driven between pumping fuel and visiting the sea store or driving that cross-holding up. Yeah. And actually, it's very similar as you were talking earlier, Dion, about the, you know, the whole banking relationship and the focus on the broadness of that communications message. It certainly sounds like there is a big opportunity within fuel retail to broaden that across, you know, well, why not wash your car and why not shop in our store? Um, so, yeah, definitely sounds like uh, there is a lot of work to be done. Yeah. I think what we also see, Paula, in the fuel retail space um, is, and it was a, a, a webinar that I attended and listened to a couple of weeks back, uh, run by the Loyalty Academy um, with Mike Capizzi, was the convergence of payments and loyalty, the convergence of mobile payments in particular, uh, and using a mobile app uh, in addition to whether it's a, a QR code-based payment mechanism that is aligned with the payment card that sits behind the QR code um, that has been set up on the user profile. But I think, you know, pretty much like what BP has done with BP Me uh, in other markets uh, and what Shell has done and what other big fuel retail brands are starting to do, whether it's ExxonMobil or other brands across other developed markets, I think we're going to see significant change um, and enhancements around rewarding and taking that friction out um, of the customer experience in, in store and on the forecourt uh, in terms of quick and easy mobile payments that then also get rewarded. Um, and then using that as, a, as an additional way to gather insights in terms of customer behavior and, you know, where else the mobile payment mechanism is being used in, in other retail segments, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this whole, you know, we've heard this phrase data, um, data is the new oil. Um, and that's, that's perhaps very true in, in the retail fuel space as well. You know, so oil and oil and, and data and oil are becoming the new focus area. And, um, and it's fascinating to see what can be done and what will be done uh, in terms of enhancing propositions and enhancing the customer experience uh, in that space. I suspect that the fuel retailers will lead this space quite aggressively uh, in terms of this integration and crossover between uh, mobile payments and rewards. Uh, obviously, the other sector is grocery retail, which is the capital um, in terms of driving mobile uh, mobile payments and other form of inclusive payments. Mm. Yeah. So, and I've often said as well, Dion, um, you know, payment linked loyalty is, I suppose, the, the generic term I've heard used for that, hmm. um, you know, convergence of payments and loyalty. To me, that is absolutely um, the single biggest opportunity, actually, in terms of really uh, simplifying the customer's experience, certainly in a C-store. So you're absolutely right. Taking friction out of the journey, if you can do that, I mean, it just benefits everybody. And it seems like an obvious one, but uh, it seems to be only in 2020 that we're we're getting around to doing that. Yeah, I think I think the uniqueness of the South African market as well um, is that we have, you know, multiple pockets of consumers that are um, on the journey to, let's call it that ultimate path of mobile payments. If that's if that's the journey we're focusing on, not everybody is there yet, um, and uh, and perhaps a discussion for another day um, is what's happening in grocery retail and what South African grocery retailers have done. And how, quite specifically, they focused on accommodating the varying needs of consumers uh, in terms of where they're at and their state of readiness. Almost every conversation that I get into talks around the need for 
and encourages a debate around the need for a plastic loyalty card as a membership identifier. Um, and, and often the question that's asked by the prospective program sponsor is, can we not just immediately dive to mobile? Uh, and do away with a piece of plastic as an identifier. And interestingly, and I, I know this is not the case in some of the uh, advanced markets um, that, that we see uh, operating, um, but certainly in South Africa, we have a lot of consumers still using cash as a payment mechanism. Um, so, so that makes it interesting because it forces us as program designers and operators and strategists and implementers um, to think much broader than just a single fit solution, um, to look beyond that and to say, well, how do we cater for that person who's still uncomfortable moving to mobile, uh, or even hard for that matter as a payment mechanism, uh, and still cater for their cash spend? Um, but then slowly with the use of, of clever marketing, you know, pulling them into that journey and possibly rewarding them for moving up into more uh, technology-enabled methods of engagement. Uh, I think that's ultimately where we would want to be, but it may take some time. So typically, the kind of response that we give when customers or program clients are looking to do some mobile-only type solutions is to say, well, let's go multiple. You know, let's use an omni-channel approach and, and evolve customers as and when they're ready into that um, fully digitally enabled uh, world of frictionless engagement. The holy grail, eh? <laughs> the holy grail, yep. <laughs> so I suppose I just want to um, maybe summarise a couple of things I've heard there, Dion, coming through and what you mm. said. Um, and then we'll just maybe touch on a couple of final questions. But in terms of um, trends in loyalty, what I've heard you mention, for example, is an increasing focus on partnerships, um, mm -hmm. even though you yourself have been working on that for over 20 years. Um, so that's certainly one thing that's um, very important, I think, for, for all loyalty program managers to consider. Um, secondly, the whole trend around removing friction, which I think is, you know, always there, but um, increasingly important in this uh, very busy world. And one that you mentioned to me, actually, when we talked previously, Dion, is around you know, just, you know, programs starting to maybe step back a little bit to, to review, are their programs working? So I'd love to just chat a bit around, you know, what is your experience with them, um, you know, where loyalty programs are in general in terms of the South African market from that perspective? Okay, cool. So um, I think, you know, let's, let's address that perhaps even in reverse order. So um, with the market that's been established and, and continues to grow, um, for the last 10 to 15 to 20 years. I think um, what we're starting to see, which is a phrase that I use quite often, is almost the establishment of real estate. So it's when, you know, when no more properties are available in a particular area uh, and uh, the consumer is investing to enhance their real estate uh, by refurbishing their home. I think we're starting to see that um, as a parallel. We're starting to see programs that are here to stay uh, and significant focus on making sure that they constantly engage the customer. Um, what we've also seen is, as you would have seen in other markets with the evolution of loyalty uh, and rewards penetration, is that typically they start off in the domain of tier one uh, brands, uh, and over the passage of time, they move, they, they move through into the lower tier uh, brands that perhaps don't operate within the limelight uh, of the multi-million dollar or multi-million dollar marketing budget. So, so we started to see more uh, brands, specifically in retail, uh, moving aggressively into loyalty too. Uh, and the primary driver, which is often a question that's asked right up front, is 
the primary driver is to gather insights. So as you know, uh, as a retailer, often you don't have those insights because there's no annuity or account relationship with the end consumer. Um, and what the program does, obviously, is attach uh, a whole bunch of detail on a user profile. Uh, and provided the user identifies themselves every time they shop, um, those insights start together. So that's the first um, trend that I've seen emerging is that there's a lot of interest from smaller clients, um, smaller retailers, smaller brands, uh, not just in retail, but across any market sector, uh, wanting to get in. And for them, it's often a case of, you know, let's cut to the chase, show me what works. I don't have the investment capabilities of these big tier one brands. Um, and help me build a database uh, and help me gather insights so that I can move to, you know, this ability to personalize, if not the experience, but the proposition. Um, and in addition, um, not just the core proposition in terms of my product and service offering uh, based on insights, but also my loyalty proposition. So what we've also seen, um, Paula, is, is an emergence of um, call it a uh, post-implementation review or a strategic review, uh, a diagnostic review of where programs are at. Um, I often joke and say that no one goes out of their way to design a poor program. Sure. Um, <laughs> in, in the build-up to sign off from Exco and mm. C-Suite, um, we look at what's out there and, and we design to the best of our abilities based on our resource constraints and based on what our competitors expect and anticipate. Um, and then we launch and... Uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't hit the spot. So, so how does one resurrect that and how do you not lose focus in terms of the original business case? So, so what I've seen certainly emerging in our market, and it's something that I, I do get involved with, is, is these diagnostic reviews, uh, which takes it back to basics around what was the intent and what was the original business case and how are we performing against that? Uh, and how have we enhanced the proposition over the passage of time? And how closely do you listen to what customers are saying? Um, and what is our uh, face to market, our retail store um, staff component? What are they saying and not saying? And how does the mystery shopper um, um, play out in that space? And, uh, and what enhancements do we need to do? Have we evolved the proposition such that it's as good, if not better, than our competitor? Um, and what should we be doing to enhance it? And then to your first point around partnerships. Uh, partnerships, as you know, are incredibly powerful. And, and for me, they work on two levels. And one, they work where the core proposition is perhaps um, not effective on its own as a standalone, either by virtue of the margin that's available to reward the customer or the frequency of purchase um, or the basket size. So a silly example, um, you know, if I'm a fashion retailer, if I'm a not a fashion retailer, if I'm a home retailer, um, customers typically only buy white goods or electronic goods from me once or twice a year at best. Uh, it's kind of difficult to stand alone. Uh, and that's certainly where we see a lot of propositions um, partnering with others. Uh, and whether that's a, a discount type relationship, an affinity relationship, an earn and burn um, redemption type relationship, we've certainly seen a lot of that. Um, and then, you know, in some instances, it does make sense for, for big brands to come together, especially if they're non-competing. So we've seen that very successfully done by the retail banks and the insurance providers in the market where they've brought in complementary services. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, nobody really wants to redeem their bank points, their bank miles and currency for, for banking fees. 
But if they can use that to subsidize the cost of the latest Apple Watch or, you know, an iPad or groceries or whatever it is, uh, it starts becoming a lot more attractive to the consumer. So I think partnerships play a big role there. And certainly, um, if anything, um, you know, we have probably close to 80 uh, national reward propositions operating in South Africa. So brands that operate on a national level, excluding brands that operate geographically or locally. Um, if anything, I suspect that we will see consolidation in the market over time. Uh, and that consolidation will be driven largely by powerful partnerships, um, the economies of scale, the sharing of customer data, uh, and there's this ability to cross-sell into databases that we may not own, but we share with other brands that are under the same umbrella. Mm. Phenomenal, Dion. Amazing insight. So yeah, definitely mm -hmm. a trend towards consolidation make, makes a lot of sense. And just, I suppose, um, you know, I could, I suppose, talk to you for, for hours, but um, hopefully we'll be able to do this again. But just um, to, to finish up on this particular um, discussion, the, the, the final question I always love to ask is around resources. And particularly, I know from, from working with you, you're very good at staying up to date on loyalty reports. And you've already mentioned the loyalty um, Academy, for example. So tell us, what are your favorite resources that um, you recommend people stay um, reading or listening to in terms of loyalty? Yeah, I, I absolutely thrive on, on white papers and opinion pieces and studies that are released. And obviously, you know, platforms like LinkedIn um, and all the, all the common interest groups that exist inside of LinkedIn, LinkedIn um, are wonderful alerts in terms of what's happening. Um, so you've talked obviously about the Loyalty Academy. Um, the Wise Marketer is a great publisher of content. Um, the Customer Strategy Network that we're both on, there's a lot of sharing of insights and resources that are coming out there. Um, Paula, you write great content. Um, so I always look forward to reading your insights uh, and everything that you produce either independently or through your relationship with Liquid Barcodes. But there are a whole bunch more and I, I have a folder on my, on my laptop um, where I store all these wonderful international insights. Um, and whether it's MasterCard in collaboration with uh, a large uh, consulting entity, whether it's Visa, whether it's Accenture, you know, there are just so many. Loyalty One uh, out of Canada, and I know you featured them on a podcast previously. Uh, Bond produced great loyalty content as well with their white papers. Um, YouGov coming out of the UK, Mando Connect. I mean, there's just so much content. Uh, and for me, they just give us wonderful insights. I think, you know, sitting down at the bottom end of Africa in an emerging market that has a range of challenges, um, for me, it's always wonderful to see what others are doing uh, and whether all of that is always relevant, um, you know, is entirely up to you. But um, it, for me, it creates wonderful excitement in terms of what others are doing because often it, it opens up whole new ways of thinking um, or if not, it reinforces where current thinking is at. So, so I've got a wealth of wonderful insights that I've gathered from others um, that complement what I've learned uh, as a consumer and be as a practitioner in this market. Um, and yeah, I absolutely love those. Uh, I also get involved locally with research. Um, I team up with a business called 8020, which is a consultancy, um, a whole bunch of smart actuary type and business science um, analytical thinkers. Uh, and we've also produced a couple of research insights in terms of what's happening in the South African market. Because I think you know, if, we, if we're not abreast of that, we can't really be adding value uh, when we meet with prospective clients or you know, engage on platforms like this. So 
So I, I really love the, the insights and research side of what's happening. Um, and I think that aligns closely with where uh, I would urge operators to be. Um, don't be afraid to ask your consumer, your registered member, uh, in terms of what they're thinking and what's working and what's not working. Um, and, uh, and use that to guide whether it's your engagement uh, interventions, whether it's your channels to communicate, uh, and obviously whether it's the proposition and whether that proposition is hitting the spot or not, uh, and what barriers may exist in the customer's mind that are perceived to be in, inhibiting or holding them back from getting the most out of their proposition. Yeah. And, so research and, is, I love research. I'm not a researcher. Yeah. I'm not formally trained in research, but I, I love gathering those insights and, and learning more. Yeah. And you're right. You know, it shouldn't be so. So um, we shouldn't even need to discuss it. But asking asking customers directly, you know, how are you enjoying this program? What's working for you? Um, I know a lot of the time it's considered an expensive or time consuming process, but really, I don't think we can perform our jobs um, at all effectively unless we at least have the decency to, to connect with people and uh, and genuinely ask for their feedback. So so good advice there. And actually, just even from my own perspective, you know, we, we again have talked about, you know, where are these uh, reports available? And it's it's hard almost to stay up to date with all of them. And as a, as a goal for myself this year, within the Let's Talk Loyalty website, I'd love to create, you know, a space to publish whatever or share what's been published. So, so um, I'll certainly come back to you for any contributions as wow, and when I get... Yeah, well, again, yeah. we all need, um, I think we're both compulsive learners. I think a lot of people listening to this exactly are listening because they, they want to learn. So so let's all make sure that we have um, a repository. And again, I know the Wise Marketeer has some great stuff, but uh, I definitely want to add to that uh, facility. So I think that's that's uh, as much as we can go through today, Dion. Um, I suppose the key thing uh, in closing is to, um, first of all, obviously, thank you for your time, your insights, your expertise. And um, really just make sure we have your contact details. Um, is it LinkedIn uh, where we should um, refer to you in terms of if people want to talk to you about their loyalty programs? What's the best place to contact you? I think LinkedIn is a great uh, platform. Um, I am active on LinkedIn. Uh, my profile is up to date. Um, I'm contactable via that. Um, LinkedIn messaging really works well. Um, so, yeah, it would be wonderful if there are conversations to be had, if there are practitioners in other markets that want to share ideas or prospective clients, I'd be, I'd be delighted. I'd be delighted to engage in any form of discussion. And thank you, Paula. Thank you very much. I know we've gone way over time. And we can talk for hours, um, but I'm, yeah, I really love what I do, and and uh, and I want to constantly grow uh, and understand more by sharing these types of insights um, with you and with others. Fantastic. Okay. Well, listen, I've really enjoyed our conversation, Dion, and yeah, just once again want to say Happy New Year and thanks a million for talking to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you. Bye bye now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews and thanks again for supporting the show.